us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, your spirit speaks most plainly and clearly in it. We pray that you would soften our hearts to hear. You have called us to be your children. You poured your love into our hearts and you've given us your Holy Spirit whereby we have seen savingly your message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection for us. So we pray that you would make us more like him from what we hear today, that you would increase our faith, strengthen us for the days ahead. And we do pray if there are those who are listening who are faltering in their faith, that their, their, their hands and weak knees would be strengthened. We pray if there are those who do not know you at all, that they would even hear this external call and be convicted by your spirit and that your spirit would do its work. For your word will not return void. It will accomplish the thing for which you have sent it forth. So, Lord, we are here doing all that we can to humble ourselves under the preaching and hearing of your word. This is work for us to do. So help us, Lord, as we listen to seek to apply these things by your spirit to our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Romans chapter 7. Verses 1 through 6, the word of the Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The word of the Lord. May you bless the hearing and preaching of your word. In Christ's name we pray this too. Amen. So in these first uh, three verses, um, this is not an exposition on marriage and divorce, reasons why uh, one might be have biblical reasons for divorce, but this is making the point that uh, you know brothers, this third time he's used this, this phrase, you not know or you're not aware, the first time he's talking about, are you not aware of what your baptism represents, that you've died to sin. The second time he says, oh, brothers, are you not aware um, of what it means to be in slavery to another, that you have a new master? And so in this one he speaks again of, what about um, the law? That, and, he, and when he says this, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, he, he's saying it, because I'm speaking to those who know, you know the law. Everyone knows the law. Whether you're a Jew, you know the law of God. If you're even Greek, Roman, or whatever, then you know how law works. And everybody had this law of, of marriage. So he just uses this as an example. So if you're, you're married, you're legally married to somebody, and then that person dies, you're no longer held by that law to that person. You're free, free to marry another. Now, you can't do that while the other person is still married to you or you're still married. And there's some interesting things that we could take some little sidetracks on and look at with, with all this. But the main point that Paul is making is you know how this works too. That 
and it's, it's interesting too because it's not the, the woman in the example that dies. It's a, and there's another guy, apparently, you can't, marry, can't be with this other guy because your husband's still alive, so you're still married to this person. <clears throat> but when that guy dies, now you're free to remarry, which is, is different than if, if she dies, well, you know, she'd be free to remarry too, but she's dead, she can't do it, but, you know, he'd be free to remarry. But it's this other thing that happens, this other person that causes these other two people now to be able to be, to be married. So it's sort of a, an interesting little thing that's going on here where Paul's talking about. But, but his main point is that as the law stands, as, as long as you are alive, then you're married to that person. So the first point that he makes here is that you have died to the law. Now what we're going to see is chapter 6, and I'm not going to go back through chapter 6 and show you the parallels, but... He's making very similar points because what he's doing is he's like, please get this. You have to understand the point that Paul is making before we can go on to other things. And he makes this point in several ways. But he's, and he's not just saying the same thing over and over. He's adding a little more to the idea of what we get in Christ and how we're released from the law, how we're justified, declared righteous, how the law no longer has any demands on us. So we see these first three verses, it's talking about, you know, you're, you're married to your husband as long as he is alive, but when her husband dies, she's free from that law, and she may uh, marry another man, and she's not called an adulteress. So likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So his point is, and it's pretty clear here, the law is binding on you as long as you live. You're dead. So guess what? The law is no longer binding on you. So the question is, what does that mean for us? First is, it's not by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. Because you have died to the law through the body of Christ. You didn't die to the law because you finally done so good. You finally have made it. You finally did the right thing. You finally did something. And now... Good for you. You've done it. It is only by faith. And he's made this point. Justification by faith alone. You're declared righteous by God because you're hidden in Christ. Christ is your representative. He said it used to be Adam. But then when you died to Adam, you now live in Christ through faith in him. So now he is your representative. And now he's talking about the law of marriage. You did not finally live a good enough life to be let into heaven you died to the law in the death of Christ. The law, and we're going to talk about what do we mean when we're talking about the law here. The law had authority over y'all. I just wish all the interpreters could do the y'all Bible. He had authority over y'all. And that's talking about Jew and Gentile, everybody. This law. So what law had authority over us? What law has authority over non-believers today? And he's not talking about just the laws of you know, don't drive a certain limit, don't cross, don't jaywalk, stuff like that. But the moral law, which was violated, the commandment of God was violated in the Garden of Eden. So we're all born into sin. And we demonstrate that with our actions. And he even talks about this in here. But there is a law, the sentence of death, that still stands all the way from the Garden over the whole world, that it, it's still there. God doesn't take somebody, the person dies outside of Christ, 
and they stand before God, there has to be some standard by which there a law that is in place that says you have broken this law, therefore your penalty is wrath, the curse of God, death forever. And that was the day you eat, you shall die. And we're all represented in Adam. We are born into sin. So we inherit the sinful nature. We are a fallen race. Okay, so a fallen race that needs to be redeemed from sin, that needs to be taken out of that race of people and brought into the new family of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is talking about. But there is a law that still stands. But you died to it in Christ. Therefore, it's not legally binding over you. Verse 6, if you look down a little bit, it says, you are released from the law. So that's interesting. You're not just released from the penalty of the law. You're released from the law. So let's think about it like this. You broke the law. You got caught. You're put in jail. You're tried. You're guilty. You're put in prison because you've broken the law. And you've been given a sentence of life, which sounds good, except it means you're going to be in there for the rest of your life. You've been given that sentence. And what holds you there? The law. And so what the law can say is, hey, we got this other law that says you do good. Uh, we can let you out. We have overcrowding. We can legally, because you can't just let somebody out because you feel like it. It has to be some law, some rule that says I can release you. So by this same law that convicted you, you're going to use this same law, these laws that are over you, to now release you. But I tell you what, you go out and you do it again. And a lot of times you get released your own probation. So people are watching you to make double sure. But if you break a law again, it can even be a different law. But you're under these laws right back in your going. And I think oftentimes that's the way we think of life in Christ, that we've been released from hell. You've been released. But now we've got our eyes on you, you know, especially now because you get the Holy Spirit. And that's really, now he's inside of you watching you. You know, it's like, be careful of that because God is everywhere. This is what the idea of the omnipresence of God is. The fullness of God everywhere. Not a little bit of God somewhere. Not God's reaching out from this point to there. God in his completeness and his fullness is everywhere present. He manifests his presence at different times and different places and different ways, such as at the table, in the temple, in the church. But he is everywhere present at all times. So you've been released. This prisoner has been released. And what if we then say, and what we're going to do, we've got a special one-time thing for you. We're going to release you from the law. What do you mean? The law. There's no more law for you. No law. No law. So you go, you break into a bank, and the guy's like, hold it right there, hold it right there. You're like, what's going on here? You can't do this to me. Oh, yes, we can. You can't break into the bank. Yes, I can. No, we have laws here. Oh, I'm not under law. I do whatever I want to do. You know, but then the guy might say, well, so can I, and he kills you. But then it's like, okay, so you got these little problems that go on with these analogies. I can drive whatever speed limit I want to. I can talk like I want to anybody. I can do anything I want to do. I'm not under any kind of law. You cannot arrest me because there's no law. But you see the problem, that guy's a menace to society. <laughs> Somebody's going to take that guy out. Something needs to happen. There's some restraining force, but there's nothing going on at all with this guy because he's just been let loose on the world. And we've said, by the way, we're never going to touch you. We can't do anything to you because there's no law against you. And that is what is called antinomianism, that people believe you're in Christ. There's nothing. Do what you want to do. Have it. And there's no sin. There's no, nothing to it. 
Yeah, they would say, you might still get pulled by the police, you might still get arrested, okay, to use God's law in this. But something happens differently in the salvation of a sinner. And you have to know what it is because it's um, the song, my chains fell off, you know, the, the, the light came in, a quickening ray, quickening meaning a life-giving ray. This life-giving light came into me, my chains fell off, the, the doors were open, I rose, went forth, and did whatever I wanted to for the rest of my life and never had looked back. That's not what the song says, because it's not what the Bible teaches. I rose, went forth, and how's it finish? Anybody know the rest of that hymn? We'll have to sing it next time, I guess. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I followed you, O God, O Christ. I followed you. So you are dead to the law, and that's good news because there's nothing that you can ever do that's going to be against you, that can be held against you in the court of God's law because you already died to it in Christ. So Satan's going to stand there and accuse you and say, look at the written code. Elsewhere, um, the Bible has said, and it says in here, it says we're, we're not in the old way of the written code, but elsewhere it's like Satan's like, what about the written code? Look at all the violations of the law that these guys have committed. And Jesus says, it's nailed to the cross. So if you're going to have a cross in a church, and if you're going to have something nailed to it, it ain't supposed to be Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's not on the cross, but the written code is nailed up there. Anything that says you're guilty from breaking the law has been nailed to the cross. Now what are you going to do? I've died to it. They're in me. Penalty's been paid. Now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. That's our situation. But then the question still comes up. Yeah, but one, you can't just free people and tell them to go because they're a menace to society. And then what about me? What are you telling me? How am I supposed to live? Well, you've now been brought to life in Christ. And this is the second point that we see here is that it's not that you now have a madman on the loose. <clears throat> it's that you have... And, You've died to the law, but secondly, what we see is that we now belong to another. So if you look at the second part of verse 4, so verse 4, 1, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So law has no standing, no call over you, no hold over you. So that, all right, so this is, there's a reason for this. So that you may belong to another. So Get out of your head that prison analogy I put in your head and go back to what Paul is saying. He says, talking about the law of marriage. You're married to this one person as long as you live or as long as the other person lives. That person has died. Now he's saying you have died. And why? So that you may belong to another. He wants us thinking back into this marriage analogy. I didn't want you to look at marriage as like a prison sentence. Okay, so, so kind of be careful with that. If that's how you're looking at it, then repent and figure out what to do, so that you may belong to another, and to who? To him who has been raised from the dead. So, the church is the bride of Christ. We are a part of the church. We are redeemed, and we've been released from this union with the law of sin and death. We've been freed from that in the death of Christ, and we're freed to be joined to another. So now it's like you've been, you're remarried. You have a, a new spouse, a new husband here in Christ. And as long as you both shall live, that continues. Now, the one thing is Christ is never going to die. 
So as long as you're alive, he's holding you. And guess what happens when you die? You don't really die. You live with him forever and ever. So this is what we're seeing in the Lord's Supper. Is a con- and is what you're actually hearing in the gospel is a connection a, a, between this present reality and the spiritual reality that actually is much closer than we think about all the time. And then one day when we die, we'll be transferred into this other reality in which we are uh, spiritually present as spirits in heaven, but our persons are there. And then on the last day, in this glorification of the new heavens and new earth, when we receive our glorified bodies, whatever that looks like and is like, we are forever with him, married to him, the bride of Christ who would never leave us, never forsake us, never, ever, ever, never. And this is what he's saying is, I will hold you. You're my bride. Then you get to go back all the Old Testament stuff about the bride, about, about a husband and a bride and what happens. And there's even in, um, which one's Hosea, I think, where he um, tells the prophet to marry a prostitute. It's like, because, and what he's saying is, because Israel's a prostitute, and, I'm, and, and I can issue a divorce agreement because you're playing a prostitute. But what he does is he still takes them back. He loves them. He holds them. So he holds us who are in Christ fast. He'll never die. He'll never forsake us. And then even at this Lord's Supper, he's saying, I am here with you now. And when you die, I will usher you into heaven with me and you'll be with me in the Lord forever and forever. And you are held close to me. So we're belonging to another, not to the law which held death over us. As he's told us earlier in Romans, his love is poured into our hearts and we have been given the Holy Spirit. So we're not just free agents to be tossed about by any wave of doctrine that might come out. We're not just uh, free agents who are just grabbed by whatever the culture is teaching us is right and wrong. And be very careful with the culture. The culture is after after you, okay? The culture is after and to destroy the church. And that can sound paranoid, but read your Bible, realize what's going on in the world, and don't miss this. The culture is after your children. Culture is after your children. Protect your children from the world. And one of the ways we do that is what you're doing right now, teaching them how to worship. Teaching them how to participate in worship. And it's a hard thing to do, but it's what we're trying to do. And the number one thing you can do to accomplish that is to, one, Worship yourself. Wait a minute, that sounds terrible. (laughs) Don't worship yourself. You yourself should worship the Lord in his presence, in their presence. And when you leave from here, here, here's, all right, I heard a thing. Now, don't, if I say this, this means nobody can say anything to me about the sermon after this except for my wife. So, because she knows what to say and how I can take it. I think it was Dana Carvey, a comedian, uh, took his family out one night bunch of family members and friends and went and saw him do a comedy routine. He said, I got up there. He said, I think I killed it. I was up there. He said, but that was, he said, I put, my, I'm in front of everybody, I'm pouring it out there. And I sit down and we go out. He says, not one time the whole night, anybody say anything about it. Not one mention. And he's like, odd. He said, I just, he said, you don't have to like, yeah, was it because it was so bad? You know, so we used to do a thing. We go out back, shake everybody's hand. And everybody has to come out and it's kind of like everybody has to say Good job, good sermon, you know, whatever. I'm not talking about that. But we should be talking about what happens in here when we go out. When you get into the car with your children, maybe talk about what you heard at the sermon. Maybe ask your husband, your wife, your kids, what did you hear? What did you do? Okay? I mean, 
Like we got a child going crazy in the back right now. He's a madman. A madman's on the loose back there. But he's not. He's got his parent back there taking care of him, praying for him. We're all praying, you know, seeing what's happening. As you grow up, you're growing up in the church. And then one day he's going to have his, his family back there growing up in the church. You know, he's like, the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. This is what we do. So what I'm saying is, talk about church when you're not at church in a good way. When you're on your way to church, try to make it as, as easy as you can. Try to get up early, go to bed on time, get up like you can. Try to, it's a, it, it can be the most tumultuous time of the year getting up to go to church in the morning. Okay, so your children pick up on this, so it's, it's hard. But here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is grace and mercy and overcomes all our bad parenting. Because guess what? You are worse parents than you think you are. And God's grace is greater than you ever imagined. But we're praying for one another and with one another. We're united to Christ. And he holds us fast. He has us and he will keep us. He'll never leave us and he never dies. And this legal relationship with him will last forever. And he's given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit as we worship him. So that we know that we are always with him. We've died with him through the law. And we belong to another now. So we died the law so that we can belong to him. And he says, and all of this is so that we can bear fruit for God. So this is a third point, bearing fruit for God. And it says this. So let's read it again, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you've also died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead. In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, it's the first time he's talked about this, is living in the flesh. It's like opposite of living in the spirit. You're just reacting in the ways the world reacts. While we're doing that, our sinful passions aroused by the law. And so that's a tricky phrase. What does it mean aroused by a law? And I think it's talking about what we've inherited from Adam. Like there's a law within you that's saying, don't listen to this. Don't do this. You need to... Uh, do this bad thing, you need to do, you know, all these things. We watched Pinocchio last night, and part of that was um, the Jiminy Cricket was the conscience, and, but Pinocchio's running out there, he doesn't have his conscience. And he's like, uh-oh, this is not going to end well for Pinocchio. He doesn't have his conscience out there. So what we have is this Holy Spirit that's within us, and, but without that, before we had that, we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions being aroused by the law, we're at work in our members, in our, in our body, to bear fruit for death. I mean, that's, that's not the good fruit. That's bad fruit. Bearing fruit for death. The wages of sin is death. The fruit of our actions, as good as we may have thought it was at the time, but outside of Christ and outside of faith, all these things we do, all these things we're trying to do for the good, maybe, but, but not for the Lord, and not according to faith, produces fruit for death. But, and he says this again, now we're released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, or sometimes translated the newness of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code, where we're just trying to let our old self make all the calls and do all the plans and everything. So this bearing fruit for God. So you've let this guy go from prison, and he's just going to go crazy, madman on the loose, but instead he has the Holy Spirit within him, He's been changed. He belongs to another. And so that now he's going to bear fruit for God. 
And so if you look at other places in the New Testament where it talks about fruit and God or bearing fruit from a Christian, it's called a fruit of righteousness. A fruit of righteousness. Or it can be called righteous fruit, but it's the fruit of righteousness as opposed to fruit of death. So a believer, life in Christ should be issuing forth in good things. You should be doing righteous acts, not to get in good with God, not to earn your salvation, do these things, but because you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit is working in you, there's going to be a fruit of that. And you, a tree is known by a tree that's outside of Christ, it's fruit, you're going to see, yeah, the, that's not working out good. But for the believer, we should see these things working themselves out with fruit of righteousness, good things by the moral law of God being written on our very hearts, it says. So there's no moral law of God done away with, but we've been transformed with it. We're being changed by it. We actually have the law of God written on our hearts. It's the work of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts through the Word of God in the Bible. The Reformers had these three uses of the, of the law. It was to show somebody their need of Christ. You can see from the moral law that you fall short and you do need Christ. The second is for use in society for laws. And the third use is the pedagogic or the didactic, the teaching use, where it's like, show us what you would have us to do as believers. And it's really just love God and love your neighbor. That's it. And that's what the liberal church wants you to hear. Love God and love your neighbor. And they stop it there because what they say is that means love is love. As long as you love, don't matter what you do. Did you do it out of love? Yeah. I robbed a bank. Why'd you do it? I love money. Oh, that's fine. They don't do that. There's still, you know, there's certain things they know you get called at. But love is love. Have you heard that phrase? Love is love. Time for homosexual marriage. Okay, how do we know homosexual marriage is wrong? The moral law tells us it is. How do you know adultery is wrong? How do, how do you, why should you get married at all? There's the moral law. Should we lie? Should we cheat? Should we steal? Should we take money from this person to give it to that person? No, no, no. How do we know this? Because the law of God says so. Now, we as a church, we as believers might come up with all kinds of rules and things. You know what also we shouldn't do? Shouldn't let women wear pants. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Let's not let women wear pants. I mean, they should be wearing dresses, by the way. So, you, But you don't wear certain clothing. You know, so it's like, all right, let's make that a rule. Show it to me in Scripture. That's what you guys say. The church, anybody comes up and they say, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do it, you're wrong in doing it. It's like, okay, well, I may well be. Show it to me in the Bible. And this is Matthew 18 stuff. Your brother sin, you see your brother in sin, you go to him, you say, hey, why do you go to your brother and sin if he's a brother and he's not under law? Then he's not can't sin because he's not breaking any law because he's not under the law. Follow the reasoning. So you've got to understand that there is a law at work, but we're not under that law for it to drive us and condemn us. But we do want to be more like Jesus. That's what should be happening if you're truly converted and in Christ. There is a desire to be like Christ. What does that look like? Because a lot of people want to make it look a lot of different ways. And it looks like Jesus looked, and it's obeying the moral law of God. You love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. What's that look like? The Ten Commandments, the summary of the moral law. And so you see how it looks. You don't steal. You don't lie. You don't commit adultery. You don't do these things. You love the Lord thy God. You only have one God. You worship Him according to the way that you don't take his name in, in vanity, and you remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. All these things you do as a believer, because I want to be more Christ-like. 
And it's not a bondage. It's like, I want to be more like Christ. Show me what it looks like. And you have people who want to become your masters who will snap that whip, don't want to put you in chains and be able to say, then you have to do this, 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 and this, or you're not a good Christian. And then you'll fall under condemnation and you're under a law again. You see why it's so tricky? Because it's so easy for somebody to fall under condemnation because we do it. We judge one another. If you were a good parent, if you were a good mom, if you were a good child, if you were a good elder, if you were a good, you do this, you do that, you do this. And it's like, okay, you may be right, you may be wrong too, but let's let the Word of God through the church by the Holy Spirit, determine these things as we love one another and work together to try to be more Christ-like because that's where peace will come from, is from this, so that we are no longer held captive, but that we serve still in a new way by the Spirit of God. So we are serving in newness of the Spirit, life, power, effectiveness in the Christian life derived from the Holy Spirit which is the work of the Word of God written in our hearts. After, shortly after Reformation, um, some people came along. They started an Anabaptist movement, it's called. It's not really the beginning of the Baptist today, but these people started coming along and saying, the Holy Spirit has given me special revelation, and the Holy Spirit has said you know, these heretical things. And so the Reformers are like, no, 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 no. Well, they're, like, well, they're saying it's true. What does the Word of God say? That's how you know they they're have an unclean spirit. That's how you know they're lying because the Word of God is the authority, not just the Spirit. So don't fall into the lie, the trap of thinking that this Bible is not sufficient, that this Bible is, is not authoritative and that you need more revelation from God. You just need the illumination of the Holy Spirit to show you what He has for you in His Word. And be careful when other people come along and start telling you supernatural, special revelation of the Holy Spirit. And because that's an easy way to sound for Satan to come as an angel of light. So you have to be very careful with that. You want to be in the Word. And that's something the Spirit promised to bring about. So we're living in the flesh produced fruit. Adam and Eve ate the fruit that produced sin and death. And now sinners produced fruit that issues forward sin and death. But as believers, we actually are issuing forth fruits of righteousness. And of course, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So we have to be careful. Fruit of the flesh, works of the flesh are evident. It's all kinds of terrible things. But the fruit of the Spirit are these things which work peace. And I want to close because Paul says it best um, in Ephesians 5. So if you just turn with me to Ephesians 5 and just read what he says here about how we're supposed to behave, basically. What are we supposed to be like? We've been set free. Um, fruits of righteousness. So Ephesians chapter 5, he starts pretty easy. Be imitators of God. So Christian asked me a question. My son, my grandson Christian said, is God humble? And I thought, I'll tell you what, children ask theological questions. So, <laughs> is God humble? Because we're supposed to be humble, supposed to be God-like. And it's like, so is God humble? It's like, God's not humble. God's glorious, magnificent. God demands worship. God's the opposite of humble. In Christ Jesus, 
God is humble. In Christ, God humbled himself. In Christ, he's gentle and lowly in spirit. So you being a person, you want to be God-like? Jesus showed us how that works, how that looks. So we want to be God-like, but not like God. I mean, a lot of people want to be like God. Do what I say, how I say, when I say. Satan does that. You know, but God in Christ, living a man's life fully, shows us how to be gentle, kind, lowly of heart, speaking truth in love and being harsh with people who needed it. But that's what we're looking for, Christ-likeness. And he says, be imitators of God in that way as beloved children and then walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality, all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So he makes a very good point right there. So if you ever think it's okay to do whatever you want to do as a believer, it's like, no, it's not proper to be named among saints. There's be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't become partners with them. For at one time you were, you were, past tense, darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and true and pure. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Verse 15, so look carefully then how you walk. Be as not as unwise, but wise, making the best of your time. Because the days are evil. And then he goes on, skip to verse 25. We see how he loves his church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And it goes on. So there's a standard of behavior for the believer in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But if you start to fall into performance-based love, performance-based standing in Christ, you're going to lose what he's talking about. Because he's giving himself to us in the gospel, just as he gives himself to us at the table. And he says, you're mine. I got you. I love you. You're my bride. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You're mine. But you need me because the days are evil. So be careful how you walk. And without my spirit, you're, you're blind. You don't know. Follow me and I give myself to you. Father God, we pray that you would help us to understand these things. That we would know um, how to you teach us to discern what is right and good in your word. We'd be students of your word. We'd live in the Bible. We would, we would know well the things that you teach and not just um, depend on other people to tell us what it is. Your words are truth. Your words are light. Your words are lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Help us to, by your spirit, live in your church 
in such a way that we come closer to one another and closer to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.